Thank you for listening to Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Buffalo What's Next is on summer break and will return with new content shortly. As we take this break, please continue to tune in to WBFO Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. and 9 p.m. for producers' picks of some of our favorite episodes of Buffalo What's Next. How can we afford not to talk about race? About education. About segregation. About humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing, we've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. On today's episode of Buffalo What's Next, Summertime Producer Picks, we look back at three segments from three previous episodes. Bridget Jaipal Valenza speaks with Drea Denora about her work in the community before and since the May 14th tragedy from June 14th of last year. Then, Jay Moran chats with Chantel Patton, founder of That Brown Bag Minority Business Directory, on some of her banking and financial education programs from September 22nd of last year. And we end the show with Thomas and a white speaker with Dorian Withrow Jr. from November 1st, where he shares his perspective on what work needs to be done with our youth. First, Bridget Jaipal Valenzo with Drea Denora from June 14th of last year. I'm joined today by Drea Denora. Hi, Bridget. Hi. How are you? Man, that question used to be so easy to answer. I know. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> but not anymore. I mean, no. No, not anymore. I'm not okay. It's okay to not be okay. Um, I think that there are people out there who who need to be strong. Um, but I think we also, for our own mental health, for our own spiritual well-being, have to take those moments, take that time to to sit with ourselves, to to not make it better, but at least settle into our souls to understand that, yeah, I'm not okay. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I agree. Um, your resume reads mother, Buffalo native music and visual artist, archival researcher, evidence collector, community organizer, and activist. That's a whole lot of (laughs) words. That's a whole lot of words. What, uh, tell me about some of that. Mm. Being a mother of five children, my oldest is 20. She's in her, ending her second year at Oberlin University. And then I have a seven-year-old and everybody in between, seven, 11. So not busy. 13, 15, and 20. Oh, wow. It's important to know that because I think that when you see a black woman in the world showing up for everybody but herself, but everybody who's connected to herself, you know, it should be acknowledged and honored that she's bringing all of that with her every time. And it's really just a you learn to just this balancing act. You know, you're always working on that. Yeah. So um, for me, 
being a mother gives meaning to everything else that I do. So being an activist, I, I didn't even like to embrace that word until very recently, but um, in the tradition of people who have died in honor of, of, of holding that title, um, I, I accept that mantle and I'm willing to do what must be done to help us be, help us um, be seen and help us to move forward. Visual and music, where does where does that come from? How does how do the things around you influence that portion of what you do? Well, I don't see myself. I, I well, first let me just say I for those who don't know, I'm a singer, and I play the piano. I write music. Um, I produce music, and I'm very visual. So if you come to a show which I call offerings, not concerts, mm -hmm. then it's, you're going to be stimulated in every way, you know? Fully sense yes. all your senses. And, and what you're seeing and experiencing comes from a vision that I had. So when I say visual artist, I don't necessarily paint, but I see visions. And I feel like as an artist, it's my job to bring that forward. So um, I hold what you feel. Mm -hmm. And my job is to hold it so deeply um, that I can put a sound to it. And when you hear that sound, I think the sound is healing because it's something that resonates with you and within you and stays with you. And then you're like, okay, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Now I can go and press play and hear that song, you know. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I do with my music. So I, I do have a lot. I have a sound to make. And I'll be making very soon that I've been holding on to because I've been absorbing yeah. and observing a lot. How How is the community? So as a, a visual artist or an artist that sees visions per se and as um, an audio artist, someone who, what is the, what are the colors of the neighborhood? What are, what are the sounds? What does, what, what are the notes? Of the neighborhood right now I think everything is red right now <laughs> everything is red the um, red for me represents fire um, for me red depending on the shade can also represent blood I think there's a lot of blood that's still in the pavements <laughs> um, you can't wipe that up or wash and it away. And you can't wash it away. And I think the the soil now holds blood that people are are eager to wash away. And that that is enraging. It's not something that can be or should be erased or just moved aside for the sake of comfortability progress I mean there there needs to be a remembrance of the events um, and that does need to percolate it needs to to stay with us to inform our action I've been working on a project for two years since the murder of George Floyd um, an attempt to heal myself um, and to maybe offer healing to other people 
I've been working on a project called Reimagine Black Death, expanding the testimony through remembrance. So it's interesting that you use that word, remembrance. But um, I think we need to reimagine as a as a collective of human beings um, what Black Death means, has meant, means right now, and should mean. And Black Death should not be um, lessened in any way. You know, when you hear, I know people who mourn dogs, mm. mourn the death of dogs and cats and and other animals more than they, 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 they mourn the loss of black life. Mm. And I want to say that because it, it needs to be reimagined. A life was violently taken. Ten lives were violently taken. Three were attempted to be taken and maybe even more. And so what does that mean? Why is it so easy for people to just like wash that away and move on? Why do we need to move on? Why can we sit in that and mourn and evaluate what that means and just feel it? You know, I'm concerned yeah. that people are not feeling anymore. Like that feels so subhuman to not feel do you think that not feeling comes because, especially or specifically then, in that community because of all of the trauma that is faced on a daily basis mm -hmm. that, you know, you become numb to it? And I don't know that it's an aversion, mm -hmm. but it's just, this is my life. This is... Mm -hmm how it is so I have to deal with it or mm -hmm. else I will just lay down and stop. Yeah, I think numbness is very real and should be named, especially um, in the black community. You know, we've been taught to be numb um, and there's this idea of survival that you're trying to navigate. You know, I do understand that, but I think talking about those who are not in the community and are not directly impacted by what happened or who they, they think they're not directly impacted by what happened, you know, that's a different level of numbness to look at it and see it and read about it. And then within 30 days, you've already moved on. That's, right. that's something else. I don't think that's just being numb. I think that's something else. Willfully blind maybe selective, or ignorance selective amnesia like my grandfather loves to say <laughs> selective amnesia you're listening to buffalo what's next we're we? here with drea and a very busy dinor a very busy woman uh who's been working in the trenches with our east side neighbors um one of the things that you have done is found Feed Buffalo, Western New York's first organic halal food resource. Tell me about that. Yeah, so Feed Buffalo, um, I created that just out of a need. Um, you know, I was trying to feed my own family. Um, my children's father is Muslim. My, my family is a Muslim family. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and I, I needed to go to pantries myself several times, um, had a full-time job, but still struggled to feed my family. Um, 
which I told you guys, I have five children. So, and then wanting to give them healthy food, right. wanting to prioritize the healthy um, options and lifestyle. I didn't see that, and you know, in the pantries that I went to. And I, I would go to my grandmother's house a lot of times around dinner time because I knew she would offer me something. And then she has a pantry right outside of her, her kitchen. And she would just give me a bag and say, take whatever you want. And never brought it up, never made me feel bad about it. And um, I said, one day I want to open a place that gives me the same feeling that I get when I go to my grandmother's house, but offers only the best option. I don't want people to feel like they have to leave and go look for something good, but they can get all the things that you would get if you had your ideal budget there for free because you deserve it. So that's what Feed Buffalo is. It's about dignity. It's about honoring uh, choice. It's about um, thoughtfulness and considering those who have other lifestyles and they need halal food. They need gluten-free because of medical reasons. You know, we have all of that at Feed Buffalo. There are major health disparities between the black community and the white community. Absolutely. Um, how does food and food apartheid make that problem even worse? So when you think about um, a lot of the conditions, the health conditions within our communities, um, a lot of them are caused or sustained by food and can also be cured by food. Mm-hmm. So... I think access is so important because it's like, well, why, why would you not like, why is there not a place like Whole Foods in the east side of Buffalo? Why not? Right. Why are all the farmers market on other parts of Buffalo, but there's no healthy farmers market directly in the east side of Buffalo? I hear discussions of some coming perhaps, but why not? You know, and I've, I've often asked myself, like, who profits from that? Who profits from from poverty? Who profits from illnesses? What what community, what group of people profits from that? These are questions we have to ask yourself, you know? So when you limit that access and you only put maybe one grocery store that arguably was subpar in a black community, you know, and fill it with other types of organizations, um, food food organizations, if you want to call it that, that serve things that I don't consider to be food mm-hmm. that are genetically modified. You have to ask yourself, why are we putting funding here and not here if you're actually concerned about people? So, yeah, when I think of Feed Buffalo and, like, why we exist, it's because I think COVID gave us a preview of what's going to come. Grocery stores were closed, and shelves are very, very... Um, bear these days still right. you know so what are we going to do how are we going to survive that how are we going to move forward and we've seen we're seeing a glimpse of that in response to what happened on 514 you see people coming into the community and now magically everybody has food everybody wants to give now right but that's already gone that's already that lasts just a couple of weeks but it can happen and i think the only way we're going to survive and move forward is for us to be producing our own foods and sharing our own research sharing resources with one another um so basically, essentially remembering and returning back to indigenous practices, for me, is the only way we can move forward. Do you think that that's something that will be embraced in in the in the community? I mean, ultimately, 
you know, we all do love convenience to a certain extent. We we love to just go to the market, get get our groceries and 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 go. Arguably, you know, some people would say this is more difficult. What do you say to that? Well, I think that 514, uh, the events, the, the tragic murders that happened uh, forced us to be in a, in, a, in, a, in a position, in a space that we don't necessarily prefer to be in, right? Mm-hmm. But in, in that space, there's this weird uh, moment of discovery, too. You discover, wow, there are resources. Wow, we actually can share. Wow, we actually could work together. Imagine or reimagine us doing that all the time. You know what I'm saying? So, yes, a grocery store might feel convenient. It's only convenient until they don't have what you what you want. It's only convenient until you get sick because of something that you ate. It's only convenient until you can't afford it. It's only convenient until you can't make it to the grocery store. You know what I mean? When mm-hmm. I grew up, we used to, Miss um, Richardson used to live next door to my grandmother, and we would go to her house and, and we can get some sugar or some rice or just something until we made it to the grocery store. Now we don't even know our neighbors. You know what I mean? We mm-hmm. don't talk to our neighbors anymore, at least not in my communities, because a lot of people, you know, like I live in a community where I have different neighbors every six months. And people don't even talk to each other enough to say, did you eat today? Right. That's probably a bit less sign of the times, or excuse me, a bit more sign of the times um, in terms of our convenience, sort of a a very, very much not looking out for our neighbor um, and self-preservation. What? part do you feel racism plays in that? I want to say that I believe that racism is rooted in fear. Um, People like to promote words like hate, but in order to, for me, the opposite of love is fear. It's fear. Racism is rooted in fear. What are you afraid of? You know, why, why, if if we if you peel all the layers, mm-hmm. what are you afraid of? And Toni Morrison said, "Who who are you without your race, your idea, your your construct of race? Who are you?" And I think it's important to for those who are racist, um, and and for all of these and and for those who sustain these systems, these racist um, systems, they have to ask themselves that question, you know, about questions about racism. To me, I'm not interested in those discussions so much because I think um, some of the discussions sustain the constructs. I think all of the constructs should be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to just, I know it's kind of radical, but I do think we should reevaluate what love means, what humanity means, and to allow ourselves to be totally and completely driven by that instead of the opposite of that, which I think is fear. Do you feel that conversations are the way to move move us forward? How do we move forward? I personally believe that we've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of conversations. I think what we need is action. I think we need changed action. 
Um, some people say talk is cheap. I think conversations can be meaningful if the people who are having the conversation are open and respect what other people are bringing to the table. But um, I think, and I also think conversations can shed light on the position of the heart. And I think the position of the heart will kind of motivate what actions or inactions we take. So what what does what does that action look like to you? To me. Yeah. Wow. To me it looks like sharing resources. To me it looks like having being honest with self. To me it looks like um doing the work. I do think non black people need to do the work of um, tearing down these racist systems that are sustained in our communities. They have to do that work. You know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. continue to support beyond tragic moments. I think, and, and when you come into uh, black communities, don't come with a position of, or a mindset of, I'm the savior. I'm here to save you and make everything better. Come understanding that you might be in this position one day. You might need help. Maybe you needed help. Maybe your mother needed help. Maybe your children or your grandchildren would need help one day. And you will want someone to to share those resources and to honor them just for their humanity and no other reason. That was Bridget Jaipo Valenza with Drea Denora. Next, Jay Moran with that Brown Bag Minority Business Directory founder, Chantel Patton from September 22nd. That brown bag, this is a directory. It has what, black-owned businesses yes. in here, okay? So how does it work? So you go around to try to find these these people. Do they find you? How does that work? It's a combination. Okay. So first few years was boots to the ground, and I'm still very boots to the ground. Um, but it was going from networking event to networking event, collecting business cards. Um, it was going from door to door to businesses. I'm sitting in a business. I look around, and I go, is that the owner? The owner looks like me. Can I talk to the owner? And establishing these relationships. This isn't just a a white pages. It's not just a phone book that you find on your porch on a random September morning. This is a book um, of people's dreams. This is a book of people's wishes. Um, And it's, I feel like I've been slated with the task to make sure that those don't die. If I can have any capacity or any, if I can help in any capacity, a business celebrate two, three, four, five years in business, 10 years in business, because I've sent them customers, then my job has been a great success. I love that, that there's people's dreams in here. Can we, maybe, can you take me through maybe one that, that stands out to you? I'm Yours on its own is probably one that we could talk about, but you know, as you're reflecting on it, and I know there's a lot in here, and that's a question that's kind of maybe coming out of the, out of left field a little bit. But can you maybe talk about one of those that just, yeah, this is a dream, and boy, I, I, I'm I'm happy to see where this is going. Um, so I'll pluck one of my favorites out of the 500 dreams, you know, 500 plus dreams in here, um, and I'm gonna talk about my sis over at Black Monarchy, um, Felicia Natalie Dove. So um, she's got a shop on West Utica, and it's always been fashion. When I met Felicia before she even had the store, it was about fashion. 
and our representation in the fashion, our fabrics, our colors, um, our head wraps. It's always been about that. And seeing her growth over the years. Um, Felicia just celebrated five years. Um, That's a milestone for a small business to hit five years, to hit five years generating revenue um, and to have the exponential growth that she has. Felicia just recently um, was slated to do the costumes for Shea 710 Theater for Once on This Island. That's a dream that has not been deferred and that has been allowed to grow because of the support of the community around her. Because not from an, an arrogance standpoint, but I like to be able to say that I had something to do with that for her. She went to New York Fashion Week and thought she had to close the doors to her business while she was there. And I said, well, why? <laughs> you have this point of sale system. You trust me. You have Wi-Fi. I can work my nine to five from your store. Do not close your doors so that you can go chase your dream. And that's what I'm trying to to really push forward um, with my, I don't even want to call it an agenda, my mission. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> it, it, interesting to hear you talk about support. Let, let's talk about that a little bit. I, I would think the black community supports black businesses. Are they connecting enough, black businesses, connecting enough, though, with the general greater population of Western New York? I mean, there's a lot of people out there um, looking to spend money, looking for interesting things to do and to purchase, but is there a separation? A little bit. Um, As a people, um, we're more critical of ourselves than we would be on a Walmart or a McDonald's. So if uh, a black business makes an error, Mm. Um, it's, it's definitely going to be amplified more than if Walmart makes an error within our community. We'll run a Facebook, um, we'll run an Instagram, we'll run a Twitter. We will blast this business versus going to talk to the owner. We can't talk to the owner of Walmart, but we can talk to the owner of, you know, say for example, Sugar D's. We can talk to the owner of Golden Cup Coffee. I can't go talk to the owner of McDonald's, um, So I'm trying to shift that conversation that says we need to hold space for and hold grace for ourselves. Because most of the time um, when a minority opens a business, it's simply that it's opening a business and it's putting their dreams on the line. We may or may not have all the nuances in check when we open. So tell us when we're doing something wrong. Tell us, not everyone else. Um, So I'm trying to bridge that gap that says we need to have more grace and compassion for ourselves than we do for anyone else. Chantel Patton is with us uh, this morning on Buffalo What's Next. Uh, She is the founder of That Brown Bag. The directory is sitting right in front of us, over 500, as she called them, dreams. People's businesses that um, are trying to make it here in the Western New York economy. How about that? How about the economy? What are you seeing? Are, Are you seeing... Like you said, small business, it's always dicey there those first few years, right? But are we? Are you seeing a general upswing yes. for these people? Yes. So um, I watch the trends. Yeah. And statistically, since the Black Lives Matter movement um, was first put into place, we've seen a 16% increase in support across the nation to minority BIPOC businesses. So um, 16%? Roughly. Okay. Um, like 15 points. Sure. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, give you, we'll give you that. Um, <laughs> but we're definitely seeing um, an increase. And I don't want it to just be a trend. As a people, we're trending right now. 
and I want that to continue beyond that wave. But there absolutely has been an increase. Um, even things to now, T-Mobile has, you know, Minority Business Enterprise Day. We've got Black Business Month. The city just recently, in August, did Buy Black Buffalo. And that was, you know, to highlight a, a good chunk of the businesses in the area um, and to send an influx of consumerism into those businesses. So there's definitely been an uptrend. I want that to continue. Of course. How about that then? Make your pitch for the businesses inside that brown bag. What's going to make them special? What's going to make it worthwhile for that trend to continue? Like you said, check these businesses out. What am I going to get that's special that, like you said, I might get it. I can go to Walmart. We know we're going to get a Walmart for better or worse, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, going to a, a small business for, for whatever we need. What about that from what we see inside that brown bag? It's recirculation in the community of that dollar. So when you spend your money at Walmart, the minute you spend your money at Walmart, it is no longer here. Mm -hmm. When you spend your money with a golden cup, with an empty cup, with a black monarchy, with the Cybos African imports, those funds remain in this community and they're reinvested. We're talking about people who live where they work. So they're going to turn around and they're going to spend the money where they live. That is an increase in, again, commerce for the neighborhood, for the communities. It's an increase in revenue that stays in the communities. We talk about cities and townships that will drop your speeding ticket to a parking ticket so the funds stay in the township. Right. Let's, let's almost use that same ideology. Okay. Keep it here with us. When you're spending with a local business, you're giving an, uh, an entrepreneur the opportunity possibly to send their child to private school, possibly to send their child to college. You got a board at Target. You got a, uh, an executive board right. who probably doesn't need any assistance in sending their kids to college. <laughs> um, so what we're talking about is, you know, that personal, that personal touch coming from a small business. You know, Walmart, they got self-checkout. You know, you're talking to the person that owns the business nine times out of ten when you walk into a small business. I think it's just that personal touch. And especially for two years of not being able to touch Let's get back to it. Let's talk to our audience in regard to how can they find out what's inside that brown bag? How can they find these businesses? How can they find that restaurant? How can they find that fashion shop that uh, they're looking for that uh, they didn't, you know, maybe didn't know existed? So I've made it easy. Okay. First, um, the directory itself is available in paperback, hardcover, or Kindle download. Okay. Um, it's available on Amazon. So you can prime it. You can get it, and you can have your list. You can have your 500 dreams in two days. All right. Um, <laughs> I also have a website, which is brownbagcertified.com. Brownbagcertified.com. Yes. Okay. And um, that kind of leads me into another arm that came out oh, of right this. Ahead. Yeah, please. And that would be the Brown Bag Business Association. All right. So I've got a membership association. We're going to think BBB, but of black-owned business. Okay. Um, so these businesses, um, I send them information on grants, on webinars, on seminars. Um, I have networking events to put them in rooms with possible individuals who could give them contracts or who can expand their business breadth. Um, and so the website denotes those businesses that are Brownback certified, and they have indicated that they're going to provide service at proper levels because that's one of one of my big sticklers is if you're going to do business, do good business. Sure. Um, there's a map on my website. Tap pins 
and it'll pop up. This business is here. This business is there. Ah. So the brick and mortars, there's a map. Um, if there is something happening, it's on the website as well. And then everything for social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are all that brown bag. I wake up every morning. Um, I do my due diligence, you know, my normal daily personal maintenance. And then I open up Instagram and I hit share. And I hit share on any and every Black-owned business that I know that is doing good business. And I share their posts to my network. That was Jay Morant with Chantel Patton from September of last year. And we end the show with Thomas Sunil White with Dorian Withrow Jr. from November 1st. Dorian, thank you for being with us today. I appreciate you for having me. You've written a self-help book called Thoughts of Creatively King, 114 Realities. It's not just your regular self-help book. What's the reason behind the title? Um, Thoughts of Creativity King, 114 Realities. It's it's my little masterpiece. You know, it, it's um it's composed of poetry, like free verse, uh, haiku, Japanese poems, uh, short stories, and illustrations of some of those free verse. It's um it's made up of my life, philosophy, and I wanted to put lessons into it to help people and let them know that they're not alone. What inspired you to want to write a book to help inspire others? I got the idea from a mentor. I um I met with him slightly before college. It was a it was a good meeting. I was passing some ideas back and forth on what I wanted to do. And we ultimately came he gave me three topics to kind of focus on. And um he told me what are your likes, your passions and your purpose. And I was uh I didn't have a good answer for him. Long story short, I left and I got the idea. It clicked to me. I was I could write a book. And be like before I met with him in my uh, last two years of high school, I've been writing poetry. People loved it, and it I gravitated towards it. I, I did more on my own, and by the time that idea came, I had a, a set of poems already laid out ahead of me. And I just added to it. And this was your mentor in high school? He was a mentor outside of school. I met him uh, when I was in a Jack and Joe program, Jack and Joe of America. I met him. Um, his name is Najee. He's a owner of Phoenix Innovation. And, um, yeah, he's he's a great guy. I released the book, and I, I talked to him, and I praised him. And I was, I was so grateful for their help. And for him talking to me and give, giving me the idea Giving, helping me produce the ideas I needed to make the book happen. And you include uh, several short stories from your life in the book. Can you can you give me an example of one of these uh, short stories? Yeah. Um, so I talked about the time I went to my great-grandmother's house. I came to rake some leaves, and I was, I was like, I can, I can do it on my own. And um, I didn't want her to help, so I'm just out there raking I got some classwork to do, and I had a couple other things to do that day. But I wanted to take time out to help her. So I'm raking, and she takes a step outside the door, and she um, she yells, you want any help? You're going to be here all, all day. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I got it. I was like, this, this woman's almost 90. I'm like, what? You know, no. <laughs> so, How old were you? Um, 
I was 21 at the time, I think. So I'm, I'm raking and then she comes back out and uh, I'm like, hey, she, she said, no, let me help you because you're going to be out here all day. You got other stuff to do. And I was like, I'm like, all right, I got it. And then um, as I'm as I'm raking and we're getting up the leaves, I I was tearing up a bit because I'm like, well, I'm here to help her, and I feel like she shouldn't have to do this. My little pride, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, you know, I I got this, I I can do it on my own. I don't need help from my great grandmother. And um, so I I we put the bags in. And we set them off to the side. We had them in a row. I had set off the first three bags. And as I'm, I'm looking at those first three bags, I, I see that those first three bags, they were smaller. And it took me a lot more time to put those three bags in that row. And with her help, I saw that the bags were bigger. And the job, that it got done a lot faster. So there, there's a few lessons in that. So, you know, put your pride to the side. Um, teamwork, the, teamwork makes the dream work. Yes, yes. <laughs> and the results are much greater and a lot faster. So that's the beauty of, like, the short stories. That's wonderful. You also uh, said you've got, you know, assorted poetry, haikus in your book. Uh, what got you into that? Um, free verse poetry, high school. So I, I did that junior, senior year, even my at, sophomore year. At Amherst High School? Yeah. With Gordon Crock? No, I had uh, Miss Godino. Ah, well, shout out to um, both of them. Tiger Pride. Yeah, I, I met with um, Miss Godino yesterday. Oh, excellent. I wanted to talk to them about the book and get some things going with it. Um, so haikus came up. I was playing a game, or I was watching gameplay of a game called Sagiro, or it was like a Japanese. Mm-hmm. And um, there was haikus presented in the in the game, and I was like, I was put to awe by it because I never heard of these like type this type of poetry. And I I was like, I did a little bit of research on like what its structure is and some examples, and I was like, well, I could do this. So I I, I did some of my own. I was like, I'll, I'll slide this over to the book. And that's kind of how the short stories came to be. And like discovery and like the book kind of developed over time. So we were at a fatherhood's conference um, through Breaking Barriers. And we were panelists because they wanted to showcase the people who did the podcast. And we, we talked about examples of which fatherhood would have helped. And that's how like I, I talked about that short story. And I was like, people liked it. So I, I, why don't I write these down and add this also into the work I have? What's the process like in writing a book? Lots of editing and rewrites. Um, how long did it take you from when you, you said, I'm going to write a book, to it actually being published? My goal to publish a book was by the end of college, slightly before or slightly after. And um, I got the idea to write a book um, like the summer before freshman year started. It would have been like June. And 
I published it. Not like a full circle kind of thing, but June of 2022. So by 2020, 2018, summer of that, summer of 2022, it took um, about four years. And the process, it, it was a lengthy one, a lot of learning, but I had a great mentor. So I published a book before this one. I had a book published before this one. It was um, Speak, Young Brown People Speak, We Are Listening. It is a book composed of a compilation of work from people all over the country, young people like myself. And they had their input, like illustrations, short stories, poems, essays. And it, it's great. And the woman that published it was Alberta Lankins. Alberta Lankins. She, I met with her, and we discussed the book virtually, talked about some things, and I was like, I opportunity is amazing because she can help me mm-hmm. I talked to her I discussed like I, I wanted to produce a book I didn't know how to get it done mm-hmm. I didn't I just I didn't know anything I just knew I was typing and then like I was <laughs> I had this goal right and um I feel like that's for a lot of people long story short she helps me published in June and now I have a consulting company surrounded around helping people become authors by giving them that information that they needed to give them the information that they need to produce a book. And that was actually going to be my next pre- uh, question. <laughs> what words of wisdom can you impart on prospective authors about writing a book? Um, network, be persistent in your craft, and um, seek help. Seek help. Find that connection. And just for for our listeners, where can folks find your book, your books? Um, so the one I co-authored, Speak, Young Brown People Speak, We Are Listening. You can just search that. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, Target, Walmart. My book, Thoughts of Creativity King, 114 Realities. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles. I'm working on expanding that. But um, it's also available on my website, DSW jr.com and i can um, get the tea personally we'll continue our conversation here on buffalo what's next after this short break hey is this thing on test test one two sounds great let's go the podcast world is overflowing with more than 750,000 podcasts to choose from but for great local podcasts you can now go to one place the new amplify btpm pods app Here, you can discover content produced in Western New York and Southern Ontario, our own backyard. With a wide variety of genres to choose from, there is something for everyone. Listen to the best independently produced podcasts in the region anywhere, anytime. Download the free Amplify BTPM Pods app wherever you get your apps and begin exploring your local podcast community now. This is Buffalo What's Next where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next. Thomas O'Neill White here with author Dorian Withrow Jr. 
Doran, you are actively involved with the Breaking Barriers program, uh, mentoring boys and young men of color. Uh, we've had a few other mentors on, including Malik Stubbs last week. How did you get, in, get involved with that program? Um, my mother brought it to my attention, and um, she had me apply, and I, I sort of went along with that. And it's been very fruitful. So, we got it. Shout out to Tommy McClam and Daniel Robertson. Uh, this is your third warning. Come on the show, please. <laughs> yeah, they they um they're awesome. Um, so mentoring for me in the program it's by leading by example, the things I do, and also giving them words of wisdom as needed, corrections as needed, and um, they're yeah, acting as a, I wouldn't say a guide, but a, a sort of path that can be taken. Talk to me about this trip to Baltimore. I mean, uh, Malik touched on it last week. Um, can you get a little bit more in-depth with that? Yeah, so we, we went to Baltimore Tuesday to Saturday. We went to a Cities United Conference, and it was great. I loved um, the energy that all the young guys and young ladies had. They had a lot to offer. They're doing amazing things, and I'm so proud of them. I'm proud of the connections I've made, and uh, I want to use those. And they um and I, I made some big connections, so I want to use them for the podcast we're doing for breaking barriers. It's another aspect of it. We did um we did a lot a lot of sightseeing. It's a beautiful city, and it, there's a lot to do there. I wish I'd gotten more to go out. There's a comic con. There was a I think there was like a concert one night that we went, and um yeah, plenty of places to eat activities to go to it's a very nice mall outside of baltimore i think it was like started with an h it was like a, <laughs> I forget. and what about this uh this i don't know if it's a chance meeting but um you you came into contact with uh los angeles clippers owner and former microsoft ceo steve Ballmer. well I, I didn't come into contact with him but i got the chance to hear from him on stage regarding uh activism and social justice in his lane and what he's doing with that. And um, I, I actually didn't know that was him. Somebody brought it to my attention after. But um, it's good to see that these people that are doing very well in society are, you know, coming to a place where they can, where they will interact in seeking to help, you know, people that are struggling in the social justice issues, get involved in activism. From your point of view, you work so much through breaking barriers and boys, young men, and young men of color. What are these? What do these young men need? And has that changed at all post five fourteen? I don't think it changed much. It uh, they need guidance and more positive role models. To observe. Now, when we talk about what what um, young men need, it's it's a strong mental shift of from what their harsh environments impose on them. We need to make that mental shift into what um, more and with the the environments that are conducive to progress, mm-hmm. and environments that are healthier, and we I think that is the key. Like the big 
the thing that locks the door is that mental shift for them to become the best selves and help others. Changing the narrative, which is yeah. something they talk about all the time. Strongly. Yeah. You were featured in NBC News and USA Today. Can you talk a little bit about both of those things? Yeah, I'm still waiting on the video and uh, articles to come out about that, but it was a great experience. And um, shot some videos. You're gonna love it. NBC, we had a we had a surprise session, and New York and USA Today, we had a. It's gonna be a lot of people on it, and it's gonna be great videos and great input from us regarding Buffalo and other youth talking about their cities. With the USA Today story, what did they have you do? We discussed about 514 and um, what can be done to help improve the aftermath and improve the way we look at food deserts, improve the way we look at um, the troubles in our city. And um, it, it was a beautiful time, and I think that great things will come from it. Were there specific ideas that came from that conversation about what to do, anything concrete? I would say my input from it, it was attacking the food deserts where, where the food supply is, um, getting the farmers more active and more um, inclusive into the schools and the inner cities. And also speaking on the image of a rough area. I would, you know, it's not all bad, but I'm not giving all the bells and whistles either, mm -hmm. you know. So speaking on the narrative and changing some, speaking on some things that can be changed about our food supply within, you know, the dis disparities in the neighborhoods. Have you shopped at that Tops? Not at that one in particular, but for the podcast I do, I'm in that area. And uh, with the breaking mirrors, we're we're in that area, so we we do a lot of work there. And the community was was very powerful because I saw a lot of people come together, and a lot of people put in a lot of work to help each other. And that kind of thing, we we need that all the time, you know, not just when tragedy happens, but as a community, I saw the interconnectedness and the unity between people and and. In other areas outside of food, I feel like in schools and, you know, um, safety concerning the city, that has to be much stronger and just like that greater. Mm -hmm. Did you did you grow up in uh, a social justice minded household? Yeah, I, I attribute that to my mother. So it was a lot of learning about my history and about how the world, like that global awareness, she instilled that. And through the variety of um, programs she put me in, one being Jack and Jill America and Breaking Barriers, um, I had the opportunity to like develop a mind for what can be changed, how to approach it, and maybe some necessary steps to take so that we can reach the goals that we need to so that society is a safer safer and happier place 
You are listening to Buffalo What's Next. Thomas O'Neill White here with author Dorian Withrow Jr. You also minored in philosophy in college. Do you apply that within Breaking Barriers? And if so, what does that look like? Yeah, I apply it all the time. So with um, my philosophy minor, I've, I've had the honor of being bestowed on Phi Sigma Tau, which is Philosophical Honor Society, and the St. Thomas Aquinas Award for Philosophical Excellence or ex- Exceptional Achievement Interest in Philosophy. And um, I've had the pleasure of like learning by great people, but I apply it to breaking barriers through my words of wisdom I give to the young guys. And I put it through my um, my book as well. I reshape the lessons I get in class and from the literature I read and the work I write. And I apply it to myself, put it through my own eyes, and give it and the message that I feel would retain through others better. And um, people would receive much clearer because, you know, not a lot of people will. Yeah, you can't just quote uh, Socrates or uh, yeah. Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> um, and you are also a a first degree martial arts black belt. That that's got to take a lot of discipline. Um, again, like just with like philosophy, do you apply that? Um, do you apply what you learn through? the martial arts towards everyday life? Yeah. Um, I'm talking about this in my next book, actually. So what martial arts teaches us, teaches me, I'll speak for myself. Um, mistakes will be made. They'll always be made. And we can do nothing but constantly improve them every day and make sure that we refine what we're working on. There's always a, a goal that we're constantly trying to reach. And um, I apply that throughout my life. Like, you know, we, we all make mistakes, we trip up, but it's part of the process. And no matter how high you get, there will always be mistakes. No matter how old you get, there will always be mistakes. How much money you get, there will always be mistakes. So um, I apply that in my everyday, and um, I hope I can showcase that through my next piece of literature and through my example. And how long have you been practicing martial arts? Three years. Three, three years. years. A little over that. Three and years. Uh, what discipline? ITF Taekwondo. So there's there's like two forms, right? Mm-hmm. So there's WTF, ITF. There's ITF and WTF. And um, WTF is like the stuff you see on the Olympics. Mm-hmm. ITF is the more of um more punching involved and elbows and all that stuff. And you mentioned you are working on a new book. Yeah. Tell us about that. So it's, um, the title is Wisdom 45 Advice. And it's, um, it's another self-help book, less poetry-based, but more essay-based with poetic elements involved. I'm working with an illustrator right now. I pop that over to her and um, prepare for the work, and she'll get more exposure for that. And um, and with all my work, I love to promote people. I love to give people that opportunity to showcase their work and um, hopefully gain access to more opportunity. 
So um, like maybe if there's a local artist around or interested in um, getting their illustrations put in my book, can send them the manuscript, pay for it, and um, get you involved. But that book, it's it's um, it's it's gonna be even better than the last one. It's it's um, the information, the weight of the information, and how it relates to me. It tells my story, but also it makes it relatable to others in that way as well. Do you have a uh, planned release date for it? Or is it still... I, I can't give you a hot date, but I'm, I'm thinking... Yeah. Um, I'm anticipating December, if not January. So it's, okay, it's on so the tail soon. end. It's always coming. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Good. Excellent. Excellent. Um, we've got a few minutes left. Um, I wanted to ask you one more question. It's very broad, but I try to ask... Uh, all my guests, this question, from your vantage point, what does Buffalo need? Buffalo needs the people already in it to really get involved in the things that trouble us. So um, schooling is one particular issue. I think that parents, it's got to be a heavier involvement in the education of the children. If not them in particular, find somebody that'll be the... A mentor. Yes. Guide, person that'll assist them whenever needed. Find the resources you got to use, breaking barriers. Um, You know, find the resources and guides and push for safety in our communities. Attend the town hall meetings. Attend, you know, your social media posts, tackle the council members, get at the mayor. Mm -hmm. We hear a lot of times that the resources are here. It's just a matter of getting them to the people who need them the most. How do we how do we do that? Is that through social media? Is that through programs that maybe can be on TV, maybe radio? How, how, how does that work? We, we have to raise voices. I'm with Dr. Cornell West on this one. So, you know, it's raising your voice, being heard, that parhesia, that, you know, that frank speech, the unapologetic speech, but, you know, discussing the issues, not glancing over it, not sugarcoating what's going on, and really combating the people that need to be talk to like all right we have the access to these people let's talk to them really convince them get evidence and push for where certain dollars need to go and systems need to be implemented so where we get to place we ideally desire so really and that would do it for today's summertime producer picks episode we would like to thank our guests drea denora Chantel Patton, and dorian winthrow jr If you missed this and you'd like to hear it again, a reminder that this program is a podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts or the new Amplify BTPM app. And each episode is also online on demand at WBFO.org. This is WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WBJ Jamestown, your NPR station. This is Charles Gilbert. Thanks for listening.